0: Hey, how's it going? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinators Podcast. Today's episode is with Alexandria Lafsey and Brett Hagler. They're co-founders of New Story Charity. New Story Charity builds homes and communities in the developing world, and they were part of the Summer 2015 batch. So they just 3D printed their first home in Austin, Texas, and you can check it out at 3dhome.org. We'll also post the video and links on the blog. All right, here we go. How about we start with you guys explaining what you do, and then we'll go back in time and talk about like how you ended up doing YC and, and all the rest
1: of it. Awesome. Sure. So we're a nonprofit, uh, one of the first ones to go through Y Combinator, and we build houses and communities throughout the developing world. So right now throughout Haiti and Latin America, and you can kind of envision a, um, a plot of land and then about... 200 to 300 homes um, being designed like kind of like an urban designer would do um, for some of the poorest people in the world um, is the really high level of that. And Ali can add on to that.
2: Yeah. So we'll essentially work with local governments. We'll get large pieces of land typically granted, bring in utilities, subdivide the land. And then families who are previously living in, let's say, tent slums in Haiti post-earthquake or in active landslide zones in El Salvador uh, will bring those families into the communities. They actually help design the homes and the communities. Uh, and then the families not only own the houses, but they own the land that the home sits on. And land ownership is so crucial as a path out of poverty.
0: Mm. And were you guys
1: working on nonprofits before or did you just get excited about
2: this I idea? Right yeah. Was it. yeah.
0: Right Alexandria a
1: was. Uh, I definitely was not. Yeah. Um, probably the last thing in the world I thought I'd be doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like literally, um, but I, I kind of had a big 180 in my life. And then uh, when I was in my early 20s, um, had a for-profit startup before this. So loved entrepreneurship, um, loved technology, loved mm-hmm. innovation, all the things. Um, then took a trip to Haiti. A couple years after the 2010 earthquake, so like not right after, but it was like a couple years after. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked like it was a few months after, you know, and um, and was just blown away by the tens of thousands of people that were living in tents because the earthquake uh, destroyed I don't know, like probably close to like a million households, yeah, something like that. Um, and everybody was given temporary aid, right, which is necessary at the time. But it was only supposed to last for, like, maybe 90 days. Um, and as of today, it's been almost, I mean, over over, over eight, eight years. years. And people are still living in tents. Mm-hmm. Like, little kid, La mom and her, you know, three little girls are living in a tent with no protection from intruders, from storms, from anything. And you kind of just go back to, like, I don't know, first principles, Maslow's hierarchy, and think food, water, and I think sometimes we forget about shelter, and you just, we saw it firsthand and, um, came back and, uh, right before I met Alexandria, um, actually tried to find other nonprofits that could like really champion and support mm-hmm. that were solving this issue. Um, and then as we went out and started telling more people about it, kind of found another problem, which was, skepticism (laughs) and so many people that uh were skeptical about where their money actually went
0: Mm -hmm. right
1: so we're here in silicon valley we're giving to x organization how is the money actually being spent kind of seems like a black hole what percent is going how efficient is it like all these things and so um we we uncovered another problem which was a lack of transparency a Mm -hmm. lack of accountability Mm -hmm. and kind of like a status quo in a sense. Um, And then teamed up with uh, Alexandria and our other co-founder, Matthew. And like the early catalyst was, how do we take those pain points that we know donors have, right? Like our end user, um, reverse engineer a new experience for that. And then we also have another, obviously, the most important end user, which is the families that we partner with. Um, and how do we provide a better experience for them as well, mm-hmm. which Allie can talk through. And that was how it started. But just to clarify, there were companies
0: or nonprofits working in this space. The money would just kind of like, you know, totally. seeps out from little cracks in the business and then yeah. they kind of end up living in tents.
2: Yeah. At this point, three years into doing this work, we've kind of come across and researched and talked to so- over a hundred, right? Well over a hundred different organizations focused on housing. Yeah. Um and unfortunate well the good news, start with the good news, the good news is that um there are a lot of you know, people and organizations that care about this, right? So there's a lot of money being put towards social housing. Yeah. Uh, the bad news is there's a huge spectrum, um, with respect to what Brett mentioned, like the donor experience, transparency, accountability, what's actually happening with the funds that are being allocated there. Um, but then also, unfortunately, uh, on the quality side. Mm-hmm. So the spectrum of quality of output of the homes and the communities that are being built, it's, it's stark. Um, you have some good quality stuff, but a lot of it leans towards, uh, you know, fairly subpar, which is um, part of the problem we're trying to solve.
1: Yeah. So like one example, and I won't name the organization, but it was a pretty prominent article. Um, this was actually like right before we went through White Combinator. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the largest humanitarian organizations, like a bunch of big headlines came out that they raised basically like half a billion dollars. And within like six years, it only built, and this is not an exaggeration, I think like six houses. Mm-hmm. It's like legit, not an exaggeration. Oh, super nice. What's up? (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, I don't think moving to Hades. uh, And so that that
2: leads into... So um, I didn't get to mention, I won't go too much into it, but my background is almost entirely in international development work, right? That's what I... Became passionate about when I was 15, like kind of solving poverty is like my life's mission. Yeah. Um, or putting a, you know, dent in extreme poverty. That's what I studied. Um, did a lot of work with, you know, various organizations in Latin America and Africa, et cetera. And, um, you know, became fairly jaded in yeah. that work, which I think a lot of people in the space, um, you know, become. Um, and then, uh, doing international development work and having a decent understanding of that led me to, um, Want to understand poverty more deeply here in the United States. Uh, and so I did teach for America. Um, and unfortunately, about a third of my students were homeless for either all or part of the year. And through the lens of those students, I got to see that when you have housing instability, uh, your attendance in school decreases. That leads to performance decreasing. Um, mental and physical health impacts, uh, parents' ability to attain and retain jobs. And so when Brett and I had our first conversation about, you know, building homes in Haiti and um, solving that issue, uh, I was just really excited about the opportunity to see what the broad-ranging, you know, implications mm-hmm. of, of that could be. So that's how, um, you know, I got super passionate about housing as it relates to poverty. Right. Yeah. Um, and then through my experience in development work, you know, Brett mentioned that large organization only building six homes. You know, that organization didn't build six homes and then pocket the rest of the money, right? What really happened if you look, you know, deeper into it is, you know, they said that they were going to build However many thousand homes, they realized things like getting land is extremely difficult. Things like doing quality control on homes, uh, post disaster is incredibly difficult. And so they shifted, um, away from that need and, you know, focused on things that were important, a little easier to do, et cetera. Uh, and so I think that, you know, highlights one of the core reasons why we've been successful, uh, is because we, Value, truly partner with, you know, heavily vet local partners. Mm -hmm. Um, the one of the biggest observations in my work internationally is that everywhere you go, you spin the globe, point your finger, everywhere you go, there are competent people and organizations who are going to know their communities how to do business in those locations better than you ever will mm-hmm. and it would be very presumptuous of us as you know very young at that point we we're 24 years old right yeah. people with ambition to say like we're going to go into Haiti we're going to go into El Salvador and make a difference uh what we did which I think you know is, is crucial to our success is find locals who help us to navigate effectively they're uniquely positioned mm-hmm. um to help us be successful So
0: yeah so what does it look like in the very beginning so you meet and you're like okay we're gonna work on housing Mm -hmm. specifically in haiti at this point yeah does that mean like you take a trip and try and
1: find contractors and build one on your own do you raise money first what do you do yeah i think it and kind of going back to so we had already like before we got into yc we were already like loving white commenter, like listening to podcasts, like all It's actually stuff. a big
2: point of connection between yeah, us, totally right? Unique. I think you were surprised like, oh, this person who's yeah. like a nonprofit background which watches Startup unique. School. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. which is unfortunately unique. Yeah, like speaking a- the same and, language.
1: And if you kind of go to, I mean, like really a core value y'all have is make something people want. Mm-hmm. And we looked at that from really two, two users, right? So the first was a, a, a large pool of donors that, I mean, everybody listening right now, like if we said, hey... Give a thousand dollars to an international large organization. How many of you would actually trust where one hundred percent of the money goes, how efficient it is, the end results, and right? And the reality is, about half the people would say no, hmm. right? And so, how do we how do we make something that they want, mm-hmm. right? And then we designed our experience we can get into later, right? That got traction. And then um, to Ali's point earlier, how do we make something that our end users want, where we know they don't want just you know. Lar- they don't want us going down there and building homes for them and like these super large organizations without using local talent and local materials and local jobs. And so that was really the catalyst yeah. um, of how things got started. And then, uh, so we had the idea and then now getting into MVP mode. Mm-hmm. Um, we were super young. We were 24. Uh, we had, you know, really no capital of our own. Um, and so we had the idea of the donor side was really three steps. The first one was, we were to make our own crowdfunding site um, so you could see the family, right? Kind of like Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Like you could see a picture of the family, read their story, and you can give directly to them. Second thing is that um, 100% of what you give will go towards building a house. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not going to cover any of our overhead. Mm-hmm. And we do that by having a couple private donors that fund all of our overhead, yep. like private investors, basically. Mm-hmm. And then the third part was... When the family moved in, we wanted to be extremely accountable to the donors. And so and it was also one of the best days of the family's lives, right? Think about it. They've been living in, I mean, like hell on earth conditions, legit, for seven years. And they get into a new house. It's one of the best days of their lives. And so we take a simple move-in video and we send that back to all the donors, right? So that simple user experience of see the family up front digitally, Mm -hmm. 100% goes to it. And then you get to see the end result of the video. Um, that was the initial concept. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the way that we wanted to launch it was we didn't have, um, an engineer at the time, actually, and we didn't have any money. Um, so, (laughs) so, um, we made, I'm going to give a plug to, uh, to Webflow, is not Webflow a, a Webflow is a YC company? Yeah. Yep. So, um, Maybe our other co-founder remember. Matthew, his nickname is MacGyver, just because he can like legit do anything. Um, we said, all right, we're gonna make basically a fake crowdfunding platform on Webflow. And so we staged it as basically looking like our own crowdfunding platform that we built organically, where donors could come online, see the family, have the crowdfunding meter, have the percentage, all the things, give directly to it. And when that happened, our MVP was Matthew, Alexandria, and ourselves. We would just update the landing page and literally like go in and move the meter. Yeah, so it's all like static. So, so you could, get money, it could, you upset totally.
2: payments. Yeah, but it would be like. I'm at a dinner. Can you like, we just got yeah. a donation. Can you go in and you go in, you do yeah. a quick calculation. This is the percentage. And you like move the meter over. Yeah. There were a few mistakes we made.
1: Yeah. It was always like, you know, usually a delay and people would call or email and say, like, did, did it our go? email go through? And our good excuse was credit card processing. Like it takes uh. a little bit of time, you know? Um, And then we we still hadn't and then we were like okay well we're, we're going to still prove the mvp um and we'll when the homes are built we'll just like go down ourselves and do the videos yeah and so we actually um i think this is a good startup lesson we were able to launch that concept like legit in only a few weeks and and we started getting money and we got um a decent amount of money we got like a hundred thousand dollars within like like a couple months mm-hmm. and that allowed us to um Use a local partner that we had already known in Haiti that had a long, um, had a lot of experience there. Build our first six houses. Mm-hmm. Um, we went down to not build the homes because we employ local workers to take the videos, see the impact, and then we send it back to everybody. Um, and that happened in a very short period of time. And then we applied to YC after that.
2: And hmm. I think that you know just really emphasizes core principles, right? Like you know, make yeah. something people want. Totally. Like we wouldn't have gotten that traction gotten over a hundred thousand dollars in a matter of a couple of weeks if it wasn't an experience that people really like people were Mm. shocked at the beginning like you're going to send me a video of like this exact family i just met on the website moving Mm. into their house you know if that actually happens that's something that you know i want to be a part of Yeah, so we would get we would say yeah this is cool i want to be a part of it but also this is not going to scale so you know and so i guess that's the other lesson too right do do things things that that don't don't scale
1: scale. i mean for those first few months like we were literally just pulling out our computers and updating the website yeah. like constantly. Did you have a design the house? we had full-time house? jobs too. Yeah. Let's just say that. We had full-time yeah. jobs.
2: So it would be like in the middle of like the workday of my like supply chain logistics job running to my computer, like <laughs> yeah, moving a meter. Totally. So you just like, you know, make it happen.
1: Yeah. We partnered with an organization that had already started a project and so, like, we didn't have to start everything from scratch. Okay. We just thought, like, okay, validate NDP, validate this is something people want, yeah, and prove it with them. And then after that, we go. Oh. Okay. And were you set up as a nonprofit at the time, or you just ran the money
0: through? Yeah. Oh, you just, well, wow. Not, we, no. Well, we, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Not immediately. Okay. Um, it just takes some time. That's actually a process that takes probably much longer than it should. A couple of weeks, yeah. Uh, a couple of months, usually. No, but I
0: know that's why I was surprised when you were yeah. saying, like, we got it all done in a couple of weeks. I was like, hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, people knew in the beginning, like you know, we're not a nonprofit yet. They're yeah. making the donation knowing that. Yep. Um, and then you know we were able to give uh, tax deductions, kind of uh, in retro. Was it retrospect? Gotcha. Later. Yeah. Th-
1: through our partner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And so you, and to to C. And you got to changed. YC. and you got into Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, th- what changed about the business when you got into YC and went through?
2: Thinking bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think was one of the the key ones. So uh, Kevin Hale, mm-hmm. um, Aaron Harris, Kat Manyalek, they were our partners. Love we love Kevin. them. Yes. Um, and I remember uh, it was at my apartment building. We had our first, you know, you get in mm-hmm. uh, and you have your first kind of call with your partner to set your goal for the three month stint that is YC, right? What's either like your revenue goal, your customer goal, whatever. Mm-hmm. For us, it was how many homes we were going to fund. And by
1: the way, our homes are about $6,000 per yeah. home. Okay. Yeah. So, context. <laughs> out. Yeah.
2: So Kevin asked us, uh, you know, what, what are your, um, goals for home funding? And we said, you know, this year, this was 2015. In the year of 2015, we want to do a hundred homes. And he said, okay, great. You're going to do a hundred homes during YC. So we're going to take your 12-month yeah, goal and make it a mm-hmm. three-month goal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we launched this 100 Homes in 100 Days. And I think a, a funny story is that uh, we agreed to it, right? Because, you know, we're NYC. Like, we can't say no. And we hang up the phone. And I was actually like guys, I think we should call Canic. them back. Yeah. Like, we just set a goal yeah. that we cannot accomplish. Like, this is not smart, mm-hmm. um, yada, yada, yada. So I was being a lot more conservative. And yeah. we were just like, we just got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And so one of our big um, core team values now is, you know, think big, break down, and execute. Mm-hmm. Um. So you have this big goal, and you just have to, you know, this is not news, but yeah. like backwards plan it. And uh, we did that, and then actually hit 100 homes in like 92 days. So yeah, we exceeded nice. our goal.
1: Yeah. So during YC, it was just tons of fundraising basically to get these things going. Yeah. A lot of fundraising, um, a lot of outreach, and, yeah. and getting people excited about our model and why it's different. Um, and, the, and like most importantly, the direct life changing impact that mm-hmm. somebody can make for a, a pretty achievable amount of money, about $6,000. Mm-hmm. And that, back to what we learned, I think it really just infused in our DNA. Um, setting very audacious Mm -hmm. goals, and then saying, like, okay, no BS, like, what would it take if we had to hit this, right? And then reverse engineering back to there. And then, you know, making your weekly plan and executing. Mm -hmm. And that has, that was the beginning. And then there's been a lot of other stages where we've applied, of course, that same principle. So Um, an
2: anecdote that I'll give is, you know, YC ended the summer of 2015. We had our annual planning meeting for 2016, the end of that year. mm -hmm. And we said, you know, how many homes are we going to fund? Do we do 200? And I forget who said it, but it was like, what would it take to do 800 homes. Like Mm -hmm. what, you know, just let's just Mm -hmm. throw a huge number out there that seems inconceivable because that 100 homes in a hundred days seemed inconceivable and we did it. So we threw a huge number out there and just said, let's just brainstorm. If we had to do it, what would we do? And, you know, long story short, that launched, um, the architects program, which exists now at, at New Story where companies actually fund entire communities, right? Instead of doing, you know, one off homes, we said, if we're going to hit a big number, we need Mm -hmm. people to be doing bulk, right? We need people to be doing, you know, big swaths of homes um and that's that's been successful and when we said that at the beginning of 2016 within three months we had what two or three companies Mm -hmm. that had agreed to do communities Um, so it was really a shift in our thinking of what's possible Mm -hmm. and you have to challenge yourself um, in order to see you know what you can achieve Mm
1: -hmm. and then and then taking the right steps to package that idea and then go test it yeah. Right. So, like, not saying, all right, we're gonna shift all our strategy and like everything is gonna focus on this. It's like, um, you know, fire fire a bullet before cannonball kind of deal, mm-hmm. right? So you create a package and you send it off the companies and mm-hmm. you see what resonates, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have this program.
2: You iterate. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's like, and and that when the program is like. You know, because our homes are so low cost, they're mm-hmm. about six thousand dollars per home. Um, a hundred home community where they'd be like all together, like designed beautifully and intelligently with the families. Um, that's about six hundred thousand dollars, right? Which is not cheap, but it's pretty achievable for right. a large company. So that's how we. That's how we started. Yeah, and it's very high impact. It seemed. I mean, it's, it's huge for impact. relatively.
2: And something else that seemed pretty. uh, an achievable last year or pretty audacious to like just thinking of this um mm. uh mindset is you know is building a 3d printer mm-hmm. which i know yes. we'll talk about more yeah yeah um, for sure but yeah super young team yeah. um fairly early organization uh doing something that's very much a uh, technological challenge Mm -hmm. um and in some of the hardest places in the world to work Mm
0: -hmm. so yeah before we get there one thing i am curious about is so you're dealing with all this apprehension around where does the money go right and so one example of how you guys are dealing with that is just showing the output right Mm -hmm. but are people asking for other things like you you talk about how your model is like better than others in the sense that you're maybe more transparent more efficient but in, in like very clear, practical terms, what does that mean so other people can follow?
1: So actually, our um, first hire after YC, which we had a lot of funding growth, um, was, okay, impact, right? And so we didn't go out and hire more marketing. We didn't go out and hire more. We actually um, hired impact data manager that Alec can talk about. Um, shout out Emma. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And we, that was our first thing was we wanted to set up this like very rigorous impact data program, which Allie can talk through.
2: Yeah. Cause it's not actually number of homes is a vanity metric, it's right? right. Yeah. yeah. What if those homes are empty? What if those homes aren't actually better than what people were in before? What if those homes are crumbling, right? Yeah. So the impact, like what is the change in people's lives once they move into the home is actually what matters. Mm-hmm. Uh And so to Brett's point, we've invested a lot into really understanding what that impact is, things like you know, when families move into a home, uh, they're they increase their amount of sleep by like three to five hours. Hmm. Um, you see immediate health. It's a health. crazy
1: delta, by the way. Yeah, It's, like and, and I four mean four hours to like almost eight hours.
2: Yeah, it's um, insane, and you can yeah. extrapolate, right? Like what the impact? You know the i mean that was that was kind of a
0: life-changing thing for me in the past few years realizing just how much like for recovery i think it's it's the number one
1: for imagine people that have kids listening like like seriously imagine if your kid was only getting four hours of sleep yeah like every night life would be a nightmare (laughs) And, and having to like like when it rains at night well usually mud or rain or sewage will go through the floor right and you don't have enough beds in your in your tent for everybody so that means the kids are sleeping on the floor so that means when it's bad weather oh that stinks you have to stand up the whole night and then go try try to go to school the next day right and then do it again it's like just like little basic human need stuff that is so Mm life-changing um that we believe shelter can provide.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. we're also not just building homes, right? We're building entire communities. Right. Um, so these are these kind of like micro economies. Um, you see entrepreneurship that pops up in the communities. Yeah. Um, you know, we do a lot in the beginning with community planning to plan for feelings of safety and community cohesion, like how homes are placed, where we have green Makes spaces. Something people want. Exactly.
1: Same principle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and the other yeah. quick thing on the data is yes, obviously, we want to know what's working, but like the most important thing about our mm-hmm. data program, and we yeah, like could not encourage other organizations to do the same thing, is we do it to figure out how do we make decisions from this, right? How do we make data influence decisions of like, okay, what's not working, mm-hmm. right? And then we can try, we can iterate and we can test and we can do a lot of new A B testing that we're doing now. Um, the same type of principles that good startups have, mm-hmm. right? Like, we believe there should be no difference. And how a nonprofit operates.
2: You collect data to make your business better, yeah. not just to not like show the data on the site, not just yeah. for fundraising. Unfortunately, a lot of nonprofits, you know, they they start collecting data because they have to, because they're not going to get money if oh, they don't.
1: They should ask you for this
2: exactly. Yeah. Um, and it should be used to influence the organization. So, like, our goal is for every community. To be better than the previous one, based on the data that we've collected, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and how do you communicate that on the site? Because you you still have to deal with the psychology of these mm-hmm. people, like mm-hmm. wanting to donate. Totally.
2: Um, how do we communicate the data on the site? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still we're still working on visualizations at this point, um, and like also still so kind of
1: early into it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're amazing. three, we're three years old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we did a lot. The, the way that we do it is we collect baseline data. So you know, what are people's living conditions before? Uh, and then work, you know, families move into a home and then you do six months, 12 months, two years. And so we're really at the point now. It's an exciting point in the organization where we're starting to get some really robust data on mm-hmm. what the impact of a home is. Hmm. And, you know, transparently, we're really thinking about what are the best ways to, a, communicate that, and then more importantly, to use that information to change what we're doing on the ground, to, mm. to be better practitioners. So
0: yeah.
1: what made you want to do the 3D printing? Well, so- Was it a data point or is no, it just No, if cool? we go back to uh, kind of in the beginning days was, how do you do 100 homes? Right? Yeah, yeah. And then how do you do 1,000 homes? Mm. And then it's like, well, there's about a billion people in the world. Right, which is like more pretty overwhelming. The that do not have yeah, one of life's most basic. <laughs> sorry, uh, that I do you. not have one of life's most basic human needs: shelter. Right, and so we thought, okay, well, we obviously can't solve that ourselves as one organization. Yeah, but how can we start to think through new innovations and new R and D that, if it works, we could be able to prove it in our communities that we could do it exponentially faster, better. And a higher quality, mm-hmm. right? So those kind of things that are like, oh, it's too good to be true, right? But if it works, it's, we believe it could be a breakthrough, mm-hmm. and then we want to prove that in our communities, and then not keep that for news story, right? Like, not like, oh, this is RIP. Like, sorry guys, like we've got this 3D printer, um, but then open source or democratize that. See, so with all the other nonprofits and governments around the really the social social housing sector, mm-hmm. and so we can talk more about that methodology later but um alexandria started looking into uh, a lot of other a lot of different things right for innovation and how do we how do we create exponentially faster better and higher quality mm-hmm. and 3d home printing came up uh as mm. the, to the top and then you can talk a little bit more on that process. yeah and for context the the
0: houses you were previously making or still are making mm-hmm. how were they made
2: uh with CMU blocks. So it's a uh, you know very traditional construction method. Okay. Uh there's cement blocks. It's reinforced with steel rebar. It's incredibly safe for seismic conditions, yeah. for hurricane prone conditions. So we are completely satisfied yeah, with the yeah. way that we build houses uh-huh. now as far as durability, resilience, etc. Um the, the big question was how do we build homes, like Brett said, faster, less expensively without compromising quality? Because that's the only way we're going to, you know, hit that big number yeah. or even, you know, try to scratch the surface yeah, yeah, yeah. of that big number um, of, of housing inequality. Um, yeah. So we started just doing some research at the beginning of, uh, beginning of last year. There were a few things promising uh construction innovations that rose to the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh we also found out that there's just not been a lot of uh advances in construction over the past few yeah. decades, right? It's such an archaic yeah. um space that there's isn't a lot of um uh there just isn't a lot of momentum and change
1: since the 1950s like things haven't really power tools right for disruption
2: with not a lot of incentives um by the big players to invest in r&d and invest in changing the way that things are are done Mm -hmm. um and so you know long story short uh, 3d printing was one of the things that rose to the top uh and the technology um was is there the technology you know last year when we were looking into it was there to be printing homes um, we should
0: describe this in a little more detail yeah. because especially if people are listening and can't like watch a video, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not 3d printing in the sense that you've seen before with a filament, it's a mm-hmm. different material entirely and at a much larger scale. But what, yeah. yeah. What material are you using?
2: Yeah. So I, I love that question because typically when I, when someone hasn't seen the video, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe YouTube we can link video. to the video. Yeah. YouTube um, the video. Like, are
1: charity, 3d printing, you'll see the video.
2: Yeah. yeah 3d org. Um, So when you, when I say it to people, they're like, is this home made out of plastic? Right. Like they're, they're thinking about like the desktop printers and what that prints out of. Like, how does that build a home? Uh, it's printed with, with the most common, most readily available, uh, material in construction that exists. It's built with, with cement, Mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you think about, uh, a hose that, you know, that with water right like a water hose you have in your backyard think of cement coming out of it instead Mm -hmm. uh and then you use that cement and you you know print the perimeter and the interior walls of the home uh and then you go and you print another layer on top of that so layer by layer you Mm -hmm. are creating a you know complete thermal envelope you're creating an incredibly durable structure think about the cement blocks that i mentioned right Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's many hundreds or thousands of parts that are put together. Mm-hmm. At each point, there's opportunity to make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, uh, a technology where it's one continuous loop of this very strong material. Uh, so we're confident that not only are these homes going to be as good as traditional methods, uh, but there's a huge opportunity and we're already seeing signs through testing that it's going to actually be much stronger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and no and waste, the, like Brett mentioned. Yeah. It's a, nearly zero waste um, uh, construction method, which also helps reduce cost.
1: Yeah. And how we went about this was once we figured out we wanted to try it, um, first of all, we met an amazing partner that we work with Mm -hmm. in very public, uh, called Icon, Mm -hmm. a robotic construction startup company. And this was not like there was no 3D home printer machine out there that we could like buy parts of, like we had to make it. Yeah. There was no, no manual. manual. Yeah, yeah. And so like we literally, as a nonprofit, we um, fortunately have um, somewhat of a license to do this because we have a, a private set of donors that believe in R and D and calculated risk and innovation. And so we actually had the funding to, to fund the R and D efforts of this. Right. So we had to make the 3D home printing machine, which is I think the largest machine in the country Right now, I'm pretty sure. 3D home printer. Um and then we had to print the first house. Right. And we did that uh two weeks ago um (laughs) in Austin, Texas. And it turned out, I mean, the reality is it turned out probably better than we anticipated.
2: It looks (laughs) great, guys. It's It's very well
1: designed. I was like, yeah, Yeah. totally buy one of these. And it and it passed um the Austin City Housing Code, which is actually a really strict code. And when we tested the PSI levels, it actually came in three times stronger than our our normal center block homes. To what levels? PSI levels.
2: It's like compression strength. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that was our proof of concept. Hmm. And, uh, and and the promise of 3D home printing, when we look at really three bullets, um, one is cost right? So right now our homes on average are about $6,500 per home. Um, We believe with 3D home printing, we can get that down to about $3,000 over time, not in the beginning, but over time Um, and then speed. So right now take about 15 days to build a house. This would be under 24 hours. And then under 12 hours is the goal. Wow. Yeah. And then um, you have to do that without sacrificing quality, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And we believe we can actually increase quality and make it stronger more durable um zero waste etc so
0: when you when you talk about these numbers like 6500 now 3000 later yeah is that all in that includes labor everything mm-hmm.
1: per unit yeah okay and
0: so i saw that the house in austin is that like the the basically the model for the future homes or are they like do they have the same fixtures and windows and all that stuff is that a you can yeah to.
2: Yeah, the, the roof will be a bit different. So in each, um, in each place that we work, our homes are a bit different, right? You have to develop them for local context and communities actually are, like I mentioned earlier, very involved in the process of community design. So we don't just copy paste, you know, different types of homes. So the homes will look different. The size, uh, the size will be about the same as Mm -hmm. the home in Austin, but some fixtures based on, you know, what windows we can get locally. We want to support local manufacturers. Um, in Haiti, for example, people do not want to live under roofs that they feel are very heavy because so many people died uh, in the earthquake with the roofs caving in right so we intentionally use um some um very lightweight roofing materials So Hmm. that would probably be different in haiti um but the the size um will be you know pretty much the same the size and then the construction methodology uh will be essentially the same how
0: does plumbing work and electrical
2: yeah, so this is a bit hard to explain without seeing the video, yeah. but, um, the, the printer is printing kind of like, it's, think of it as like two, um, two like a interior and an exterior uh-huh. um, printed uh, layers of cement and then inside there's kind of little triangles so that's spacing uh, that you can you know wire uh, and that you can um, put plumbing through mm. uh, and then the printer actually is you know it's pretty smart you you know upload a CAD file and it knows where to stop and start so yeah. if you think about where the window is sits we don't have to like you know uh, mm-hmm. carve into the right. the structure, like the printer knows to stop at a certain point and to start at a certain point, it can do the same thing for areas where fixtures need to kind yeah. of feed through into the home. Yeah.
1: And that point uh, is actually really exciting to us because if you could just imagine um, for our use case, which is the families that we work with um, in some of the poorest places in the world, we would a- actually be able to offer them different type of templates mm-hmm. and even help customize the home's Right, because of the the technology, mm. which right now we just can't do. Yeah, uh, and you have more design freedom in in how you can design stuff. So it doesn't have to be like a rectangle or a square. You could actually make it circular, which is how the first one was done as well, um, which is extremely exciting from an architectural standpoint, yeah. um, aesthetic, and but also like. The, you know how we can use it. Mm. It's
2: not any more expensive or difficult to design in like loops and curves as it is yeah. to do straight lines, right? Until and you that, get a
1: curved window, but yeah,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, kind of the design thing is important because when you look at social housing developments now, yeah, whether you have two kids or eight kids, typically you're in the same house, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have a disability. I mean, tough luck, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can design houses that, again, kind of best meet the needs of individual families, which mm-hmm. happens for you and I, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we don't think it should be any different for people yeah. just because they don't have as much, you know, purchasing power because of where they were born.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would just, I'm, I'm not trying to plug new story, but to see the video, like visually, yeah. like it's really important. It makes a lot more sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. You could just YouTube it, type in new story or 3dhome.org uh, and and this, is, this concludes phase one for us, which was make a 3D home printer with our partner icon and print the actual first house in Austin, right? which we've done. And now we shift into phase two, which is we'll definitely have to make product development on the printer. We'll make improvements, more testing, but then bringing it down to El Salvador is the place that we're going to uh, bring it to. And 3D printing uh, a community of homes is the next phase uh, that is happening this year we hope to finish that um you know q1 or q2 of 2019 the whole community Mm -hmm. um and we're extremely excited about it because you know this type of technology if you look back you know when there's a lot of technological advances it usually does not reach the families that need it most first right they're kind of one of the last ones to get it of course um and we're so excited because this could um change how we innovate shelter for the families need it most and them getting it first which we have um just a unique use case of our homes are small right our homes are simple Mm -hmm. and that's why we think we could do it first
2: yeah we want to bring emerging technology to emerging markets um, Mm -hmm. because that is the area those are the areas where uh, these technologies aren't just to do things like that are cool or to make us a bit more comfortable. It's where emerging tech has the opportunity to truly change lives and communities and societies and countries. Mm. Um, so, you know, we feel like this is kind of one step, what we're doing with construction mm-hmm. um, to like fast forward uh, yeah. these technologies to the places that need it. Yeah. And in everything that we do, we really hope that we can help inspire the sector right mm, like yeah. if more organizations for their respective problems in food security and education wherever if they are investing in r&d seeing what technology might be applicable to their specific use case and um you know bringing it to the places that they work uh i think we can you know solve a lot of the world's biggest problems mm. a bit faster yeah. um, the
0: partnership model is interesting as well yeah like how did it's you guys the go about of
1: story yeah how'd you go, go about doing that well, I think it depends on what's the ambition of your organization, right? And and we've chosen to say, hey, there's this huge problem, right? Of About a billion people that lack shelter. We want to try to make the biggest dent in that possible, right? And then so that's the thing big. And then you reverse engineer mm-hmm. and you think, okay, you can't do that as one organization raising money, right? You're governed by what you could do. But then you look at the market and you see there are thousands of nonprofits. Almost every government mm-hmm. has budget or is mm-hmm. working on this issue. Um, but what we think that is missing is um, more R&D and more innovation. right? So we want to prove it ourselves and then say, let's get to scale mm-hmm. by democratizing this mm-hmm. and like sharing it with everybody. And then getting adoption from all of those partners. You add on to it.
2: Um, I think you, you hit that, uh, and to your, I think you are asking about icon, the icon partnership. So, um, I think this is a good lesson and Brett does this so well. Um, you know, for people who are thinking about starting a business or they've started one, um, to just talk to people, talk to as many people, especially, you know, people as possible <laughs> um, about your idea because you never know like where yeah. the dots who may connect. Who? So yeah. when idea. we were um, doing a lot of research and we said, you know, 3D printing is very interesting. At that point, we did not know very much beyond what we had like read and seen. Uh, and Brett really just started talking to everyone about it. And we're, you know, very, um, you know, grateful through IC, through other, you know, programs to have an incredible network. So we You know you really talked to just everyone you knew what do you know about 3d printing Mm. do you know anyone in the space have you what have you learned like what can you tell us and because through that then someone was like oh i actually know these guys in austin texas who are experimenting with this and Mm. um you know the more you talk about your idea the more you ask questions the more you look to gain knowledge i think the more opportunities present themselves to you um so we got connected uh, to, to these folks in Austin, the Icon team. Uh, Evan, Jason, Alex. Yeah, were are inc- absolutely incredible. Shout out to them. Uh, and they obviously had they hadn't built the this printer as we know it yet but mm. they you know through some prototyping we knew that they had the technical chops but then also there was a shared set of values right so icon is uh, a for-profit company they'll be aiming to build homes here in the united states um through 3d printing and other methods which is really exciting uh but they had shared values they really care about affordable housing in the united states and they saw um this opportunity to partner with us again to take um, really promising, uh, technology for construction to places where yeah. we can immediately apply it. Um, you know, we're not, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, if you look at even New Stories video, right? If you look at New Stories 3D printed video's video.
0: Most shout outs. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> but I'm saying, if you look at the video, the, 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 suggested videos after it will be other videos of, you know, homes that have been 3D printed in the yeah. last, you know, one, two, three years. Um, so, you know, this is not necessarily the first 3D printer period, but what's significant about what we've done is A, it's not experimental. We're not doing it just to see what's possible, right? A lot of, um, uh, the printers that exist are more so in an R and D phase because they're targeted towards, uh, either for profit or luxury markets or even like building in space, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are, we want to bring this down to earth and say we have issues right. with housing here and now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we were really bullish on, you know, let's get this out of the, like, experimental, um, you know, frame of mind and yeah. let's make it actionable to, like, print homes that people are going to be living in in the next year. Um, and... uh so so they very much agreed with us they believe that you know that the technology is ready today Uh, and so the partnership just made a ton of sense
0: so for other nonprofits, how does it work on the financial side like do you guys license it do you buy the 3d printer from them how do do you set it up
1: it's in the early days uh and to be honest we have we have to first prove it ourselves and like doing it in austin is one thing um do, printing a community of homes in el salvador is the next goal yeah and so we have to prove it ourselves and then we'll we'll talk through and figure out what's the best model to scale that out mm-hmm. um which we don't have clarity on exactly yet okay
2: and i think something else that distinguishes the printer that we've built um is all of the design constraints that we gave the icon team right so mm-hmm. pr- a printer that's going to print a home um you know, in, uh, the U.S. or many of the examples you see in some places in China, they're not going to necessarily work in Haiti mm-hmm. and El Salvador with our specific design constraints. So it's hard enough to build a 3D yeah. printer. And on top of that, we were like, Hey, engineers, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that if power goes out midway through, that we're not going to, you know, have an issue, that if potable water is not readily accessible, we're not going to have an issue. Manning the machine has to be easy enough so yeah. that we don't need like super highly technical talent, uh, in order to, operate or to fix the machine so um our printer that we've designed is a printer that's ready to work in some of the most remote areas in the world some of the you know most difficult to work places in the world um which is the first of its kind yeah,
1: yeah. and th- this has all happened in less than a year yeah. like we had a night we were, we we're at one you know uh, a, a team we do these fun quarterly summits every year we go place and so we actually have one night at dinner we do moonshot ideas mm-hmm. and everybody has to just like pitch Big moonshot ideas. And we actually got a lot of good stuff from that exercise. And 3D home printing was one of the things that came up that night. And just a year ago. Yeah. Just a year ago. It was just an idea. And then we started to explore it more, explore it more, talk to the right people and then say, all right, well, this is, we've done a lot of due diligence. Like this was a calculated risk. And we got to the point where we said, um, okay, news story is going to invest this amount of money and we're going to do it where if we lose it, we're going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, like this isn't a bet the company kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. it's actually not at all. Um, it was significant, but not that. And then we said, okay, the, the worst case is we lose it. We're going to be all right. We learn, we move on. The best case is <laughs> we could innovate shelter mm-hmm. for the families that need it most. And, and when you look at that and you analyze that, we thought it was irresponsible not to try it right? Because if it works, it could change everything and it could reach more families that need shelter faster. So that was kind of how we made our decision. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's
0: the hardest thing you see coming down the road, like doing it at larger scale, what's going to be challenging?
1: Everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a
2: lot. Um, you know, I, my head's always like on the ground cause I kind of run our on ground operations. Um, so one of the, one of many challenges will be just um people wrapping their minds around it on the ground. I think hmm. talking to you, a lot of people who are listening, when you first hear 3D home printing, me even, hmm. um, you're just like, is it plastic? How does that work? Yeah. I don't get it. Um, And so, you know, it would be naive of us to assume that we're going to print a community of homes in, you know, a watch upon El Salvador, and then people are going to be super excited to live in them without knowing, hey, is this safe? You know, you're worried about your children, right? If I, like, I would not move me and my future kids into a home that you know well you don't want to be like in a science
0: experiment exactly you don't want to be a guinea pig to to something
2: new and so while we know uh that it's you know incredibly safe and durable etc um there's going to be a lot of kind of just education and talking to people and um you know getting their minds around it and by they i mean um you know both the families that we are working with that we you know um uh build homes for as well as you know governments and Mm. you know local architects and you know people
0: people literally operating the machinery too Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
1: that's gonna be wild yeah yeah
2: and the whole
1: the whole thing is we have a uh kind of a a macho we say as a team like it's for sure a seemingly crazy idea right now especially when we bring it down to el salvador and Mm -hmm. like show people and everything right to governments to a lot of people listening it's a crazy idea um like until it's not right until we can prove that it's not mm-hmm. and so we say like it's crazy until it's not um, but we also know that this is obviously not guaranteed right this is an R&D project um, that we feel now actually more confident than ever in because of how the first phase went mm-hmm. but we last, have a long way to go
2: yeah last august is when we said we're going to start building this printer mm-hmm. yeah we want to do it by south by southwest in by southwest in march at that point no printer existed right and not only was the printer built but the house was built and that's just to say like you know it seemed very crazy Mm -hmm. it seemed audacious but it happened Mm -hmm. um and i think when you're like super crystal clear on what your goals are um that's just incredibly powerful um in order to like make it happen
0: yeah so Mm -hmm. what percentage of the team was working on this because like obviously so i mean you guys already spoke to it but all the Troubles that you're dealing with, all the challenges, making stuff like shipping things. Everyone has the same problem. Mm -hmm. Like, how much of the team was working on this, and how did you get it to move so quickly?
1: Yeah, in in the beginning, it was really just uh, Alexandria and I. Um, So Alexandria's our COO, I'm a CEO and co-founders, and we weren't spending that much time. Like, I think we pretty disciplined on like five to ten percent, like our weekly time in the early days. Right, And then you learn more and it grows. Um, and then we really only brought on one other person from our team um, to help, in Joanne, and she wasn't spending Architect, that yeah. much time on it either. Um, so we we're able to do it where we kind of carved out a percentage, basically like our weekly schedule yeah. that we were going to allocate towards it. And we just stayed pretty disciplined on that. Because um, I think there's a, there, there has to be a balance of, like, obviously you want to go out and have, like, exciting new creativity and innovation But you can't do that without the disciplined focus on everything else. Totally.
2: And so in the beginning, I think what's really critical and one thing we've done really well, I already mentioned this with local partners in the Mm. countries that we work in, but finding people who are experts in their space, right? Um, While Brett and I did a ton with research, legal, project management, Launching, etc. We're not mechanical engineers, mm-hmm. right? We're not cement experts. Yeah. And so, you know, what we did was find those people, yeah. um, and then help coordinate, you know, the, us all working together to get toward a common goal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so easy to take your eye off the ball, right? Yeah. Like, as, I totally. mean, as
1: by nature, especially people- as a shiny object is this, right? Like, the reality <laughs> is, it's yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It's a shiny object, and we saw that in our launch two weeks ago. Um, I mean, we had. It's been like I think like six million views now. Uh, over five hundred media outlets have written on it, yeah, that's insane. and not not yeah. I mean, it, it was good, and we yeah. and we prepared heavily for that. Um, but how it, are the donations it, looking? Uh, within the last week, we now have about like one point three million wow. in donations. So it's resonating with people. Yeah. Um, and we're we have we're funding basically more of the R and D of the printer. Okay. Um, of the next product development phases. Because you got to put yourself in the mindset of like, like obviously people can fund houses, which is incredible and amazing and life changing. And then there's a very small amount of people that understand like creating a product like this that if it works and then could be scaled out Mm -hmm. around the world, Mm -hmm. like that's a massive impact. Um, And that's people are starting to fund that as well.
2: Yeah, you think about you know the government of Mexico, they're building tens thousands, not tens of thousands of homes per year Hmm. um, that would kind of fall into that social housing bracket. And so if this technology is promising, it's able to slash costs, you know, be safer, be quicker, et cetera. Imagine, you know, the government of Mexico being able to use this to make their work more efficient Hmm. and the savings, right, that may go into other social programs that may help to um, alleviate poverty in different ways.
0: Mm. You guys have been so effective at like picking a goal and going for it both on the fundraising side and on the product side. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other advice do you have for nonprofits that are going through YC or just watching this and just curious about you in terms of like the fundraising, which I know can be really challenging for mm-hmm. nonprofits. Yeah. And then like, you know, just having the guts to like go for a product, which is again, like, like you said, your investors are excited about these goals that you have, but not everyone is. So like, that's a whole sales process as well. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you get to be in that kind of position? Yeah. Well,
2: it's a big question. (laughs) That was a long question. I think it,
1: I think it really like people ask us a lot of, you know, how can, how can other organizations be, especially nonprofits or social impact organizations? Like how can you be more innovative or how can you, you know, do some of these things and, I think just the reality is it all starts with people, mm-hmm. right? You have to have the right people on your team that have the competence to innovate or to, to be an engineer or to have the right networks. And so Good.
2: I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. We really value, <laughs> we really like,
1: like I, I, I believe with all my heart, our number one asset as an organization is our team and our culture. Mm-hmm. And then that just, it spirals to other areas of like, what kind of advisors can we attract, right? And then we start getting a few very respected advisors or board members, and then they get to know us better and they're starting to tell their team about it, right? And so it's like kind of this domino effect um, where you have at the tip of the spear is definitely a clear story Mm -hmm. of like why your organization matters and how important it is for you to do what you're trying to do. Um, For us, it's a lot about, you know, accountability direct impact, working with locals, human centered design, innovation, R and D, and just like tripling down on that story with clarity and then getting the right resources behind you um, that are excellent as best as you can. And then over time that that builds. Yeah.
2: Plus one to everything Brett said, team, absolutely critical. We actually take um I mean, people really remark and kind of uh, anxiously laugh after they go through our hiring process. But it usually part-time takes job. like, yeah, it's like a part-time job to go through it. We take a really long time. I think especially as a small team, it's so important because it's like family. You spend mm-hmm. more time with mm-hmm. these people than anyone else in the world. Um, and so, you know, we do interviews with like every single one of our team members. They come into the office and they work for a day. Like we take a long time mm-hmm. to like vet and bring people onto our team so that when they come on, we're fully confident. Mm-hmm. Um uh, in their work ethic, in their sense of urgency, in their, you know, values, character, et cetera. Um, relationship building, um, you know, that's something that I'm actually like learning more of the importance. I think Brett's like a master of that. And that's one of the reasons why we have such an incredible group of advisors, donors, um, people just advocating for us because, you know, we treat them as part of the new story family right giving updates you know when they have a kid sending them a new story once it's just like relationship building it's really genuine right like these people Mm. are investing in like our vision for how the world should be and so you know, we want to invest in them and continue to build those relationships as well. So just like genuine relationship building Mm -hmm. is key. And then for nonprofits, I think for for for-profits too, but at the end of the day, none of that matters if what you're doing on the ground is not actually working. Um, So it's really critical to A, get the right people on your team, um, to always be testing your hypotheses, um, to, you know, be super critical of your work and to make sure that you are actually um, having meaningful impact because if you did none of the other things and you just did that right you like make something people want you do incredibly impactful work then it might be slower but you will eventually get um, other people to like support and rally around you whether yeah. that be team mm-hmm. members whether that be you know donors etc if you're doing really mm-hmm. high impact work yeah. um, so that uh, cannot be overstated
1: i'd say one um one i've just Thought this in my head, like one equation that I think we've done well for fundraising and other growth and other resources is I think, first, to Ali's point, you have to have like credibility of who's supporting you, mm-hmm. what's the work that you've done, what are your results, what is your story, right? So you have to build that up, right? Which takes a lot of tenacity and all the things to get it started. And then it's like, how do you get the attention of like influential people? And I think it's the equation of, first having the results and the credibility and then being very creative of how you're getting to those people. Right. So we do like really weird and creative things of like getting to people, right? Like we'll mail a Lego kit of our house to somebody that we really want to get in front of, right? We'll make, we don't sit just send emails, we'll make videos and we'll send Mm -hmm. like a video of us like directly to somebody, right? Like we just try to think really creatively of, how do we get these people's attention? Because if they could just give us 10 or 15 minutes of their time, we know that our story and our credibility and our results will speak for themselves. Mm. But these people are are, are extremely busy, right? Mm-hmm. And having very important things to do and they're not just going to come find new story. Yeah. Right? You have to be very creative of how you're getting people's attention. And the more humanized you can make that and the more unique you can make that, the better it, ha- it happens.
2: If you do, if you use like traditional methods, just expect kind of traditional, ordinary results. Yeah. Right.
0: Probably below average. Totally. Yeah. It's just like no one, especially these high profile people, they're so hard to get in touch with. I sure. mean, you see it at demo day, right? Like yeah. here you are full of these, like you're just surrounded by another hundred great companies. Yeah. And that's like a refined piece of the world you, already. You
1: have, you have to um use this term always, you have to take really big swings of like and that means investing a lot of time, even resources into something, right? So for example, right now we have this um, new program we're very excited about. Uh, it's called Her Story. And it's focused just on um, single mothers that we work with in our communities. And we are going out and sharing this program with like empowered uh, female leaders in the U.S. Right. And so we have kind of our our dream list of people that we'd like to get involved. Mm-hmm. And then instead of just like sending them an email or doing whatever, we actually made these um, and Hannah Potter, who runs this program, we made these like beautiful custom like invitations, like beautiful and, and like looks like wedding
2: branding that they do look yeah. like wedding invites. they look
1: like like amazing wedding invitations with like a custom note on the back and like we're mailing like Rose that gold foil on <laughs> it you, <laughs> nice. we're mailing that like via fedex so everybody opens fedex stuff like to either them or their chief of staff or their assistant yeah and it's like that's the kind of stuff where even though that ch- it's going to be a small percentage like we've invested so much into making that happen there we will get traction from it and we have right. and we have yeah. yeah. Man, that's great
0: advice. Any uh,
1: closing words of wisdom for people?
2: Hmm. Not good. Well,
1: co-founders out there, I mean, our co-founder relationship, um, I think everything starts there.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and before advice. you can build a great team, you have to have just excellent cohesion Um, at the co-founder level, um, I feel one of the luckiest things and the best day of my life was being able to meet Matthew and Alexandria and, um, and our other co-founder Mike and the, the chemistry that we have, the, how we split up time, um, how we check egos at the door. Like there's no ego at, at new story and how we're humbled together. Um, that creates a culture. Right, of of what it's expected to be when you join New Story and then that, that impacts who you hire, that impacts the companies that want to work with you, all the things. So I think it starts with there. Um and then it goes down to who you
2: yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? That's with your co founder yeah, relationship and other people who are um, you know, starting businesses or who who maybe aren't, right? That's not the entire audience. Yeah, for sure. I think just having um an incredible community of very supportive and bright people around you. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm super lucky that I have that every day when I go into work with my co-founders. Um, we had chatted about this earlier, but I also have, um, a group of, uh, other female founders through YC that are community mm-hmm. for me. Um, people who, you know, are never resentful or jealous. They're just like complete cheerleaders for you. Um, you know, doing, doing things, doing things that haven't been done before, yeah. um, it's really scary and challenging and hard. And in all of our careers, whether or not you're a founder, uh, you're going to have so many challenges. And having sounding boards and having cheerleaders and just having a really great community around you helps mm-hmm. you feel... Um, empowered and and not lonely like the lone like a a journey like this can be very lonely um so i think like placing a lot of effort uh and emphasis on creating really strong communities um Mm -hmm. of cheerleaders around you
1: one one last thing that we've we've always said this for the last three years but especially with the new 3d home printing launch is that um you know bold ideas attract bold people Mm -hmm. right and the, the more audacious, the bigger the idea is, that's going to attract um, more of that caliber of person, right? That either wants to fund it, that wants to partner with it, or wants to come, you know, give up their job at Google or Facebook and come work with you right. to do it. And so you've, if you're a startup founder out there, you've, you've got to have bold ideas if you, if you want to achieve, you know, you know kind of spectacular results. Right. Especially bold ideas that aren't just PR stunts. Yeah. exactly right. like yeah. this
0: this is the kind of thing like it, it's sort of uh an understanding of asymmetric risk, right, mm-hmm. like if this works out, it's going to be amazing, but the mm-hmm. downside's like very limited, yeah, but it seems like it's working really well for you, and I would second the uh the group meetings yeah. Yeah. that's like one of the things that people don't talk about all that much in terms of y c benefit yeah, yeah. like after the
1: fact, yeah, just keeping that up, that's so smart yeah i mean i i i'm like I feel lucky because. Allie will go have dinner or drinks with with her girls which are like amazing founders and she'll come back with like all these great ideas yeah. and like all this new stuff <laughs> on hiring tips. and culture and like yeah. everything and it's yeah. like wow it's amazing. Man. Yeah,
2: So just like-minded people around you who are going to like totally. push you toward um, your your goals.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. If you read the news all the time it's like only awesome high updates but that's not the reality. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. And then just one last, this is not advice, but, um, one thing that, uh, just always is in my heart is, you know, YC, Y Combinator obviously, um, you know, has to return a financial ROI, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, based on what the company is. But I think really at the, the core of the culture, like what gets, Uh, YC partners excited. What gets the YC community excited is, um, solving really big problems, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, or kind of just like new, uh, ideas and innovations to make the world a better place. And so, you know, YC was one of the first, um, to, like, with a for-profit lens, look at nonprofits. Um, Mm -hmm. nonprofits get a bad rap, but essentially these are all people that are trying to solve the world's biggest yeah. like most intractable problems um and so you know i just have the utmost respect for the yc community for um you know taking all of the things that they've learned about running good businesses you know over i don't know how long it is um, over, 10 over years a now. decade over 13 yeah. years now yeah. um and helping you know apply and create communities and create awareness uh, around the organizations that are really working to try to make the world a more equitable place
0: it was very nice of much you. Much
2: respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, good at
0: that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. This has been great. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. All right. Thanks for listening. So, as always, you can find the transcript and the video at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, it would be awesome to give us a rating and review wherever you find your podcast. See you next time.